Hey, Lorenzo. How you doing? Hey, all is well. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity again. I am so excited for us to have this conversation. Um, we met over LinkedIn, probably. How many people yeah. meet that way? And I kept saying, oh, man, we have to talk. We have to meet. Like, this whole thing you're doing is so cool. But before I venture that far, why don't you introduce yourself and tell people who you are? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a, um, like to say, a country country guy out of, out of Arkansas, um, I think a lot of that really ties into, you know, who I am, you know, and and some of the similar pressures that people in the South experience, you know, you know, we think about the civil rights era and, you know, how mental health and depression ties into that stress and, Mm -hmm. you know, inequities. And the work that I do is really tied around mental health and supporting black men. And I, I like to start off that way because I believe people in the South have very unique um, challenges. I think we all as black people have, very unique challenges. And I think when you consider the the civil rights era and some of the things that, you know, really happened in the South, I think a lot of our work really is tied to, you know, really liberation and really seeing the full strength and opportunity. And so, you know, the Confess Project is what I do. And what is the Confess Project? We're a national grassroots organization that's focused on mental health, particularly for young Black men and boys between the ages of six and 35 by training barbers to be mental health advocates, supporting young Black men and their families. Um, that's the work that we're doing at large um, now across 40 cities. we are trained about 1,000 barbers. So I'm really excited for that. And it's really started as my own story, my own journey. Mm-hmm. And it's really rippled now into a, a magnitude of opportunity and movement building for yes. Black men and boys. And so really excited for that. Yeah, it's definitely movement building. And when I first Um, learned about it. It's actually from a a peer supporter here in Los Angeles County, where I I am. And that peer supporter himself is a barber. And so he sent me this article about the Confess Project. And he said, can we do this? And I'm like, well, we could do anything. In in my book, like, okay, of course, there are rules. I get it. There are rules. Like, I'm not the biggest rule breaker. But um, I was like, yeah, you know, if this is something that you're really interested in, And he started talking to me about, you know, himself as a barber, he has family members who are barbers. And, um, you know, when folks come into the shop, and they're clearly sort of struggling with some mental health stuff, the barbers don't know what to do. Luckily, this peer does, right? Because he, he works in the system. He's been through all the systems. So he knows how to take time with folks. But, um, you know, the other barbers did, uh, don't. And generally they're like, hey, Charles, come on over here. Like, uh, help us out. So when he sent me this article, I was like, oh, this is like amazing. And then we got connected. And I thought, yes, this is about movement building. It's beyond just training barbers to support the people who come into their shop. Right. Like, and I think when I go to the beauty, beauty salon, I don't even know if that's what they call it anymore. They don't call it the beauty parlor. That's what they called it when I was a kid. Take us (laughs) to the parlor. Right. (laughs) But uh, you know, and it's where the the ladies and the men uh, and our young children, you know, would talk about their everyday lives. So what a, what a better place to meet people where they are and kind of something that we do sort of ritualistically almost as black folk, you know, we go get our hair done. As I say, we yep. go get our hair done dead. That's what we do. <laughs> so when you, um, when you came up with this idea for the Confess Project, um, how much of what, you know, you have gone through as a black male and your own personal experiences led you to think about the barbershop as a place for healing support and movement building. Honestly, again, it goes back to, you know, as a kid, I was separated from my mother and father. You know, they had their own unique challenges. 
you know, grew up in poverty in the South. Family members beyond that had, you know, incarceration, drug addiction, health issues. And so all of these things are very magnitude of what we recognize as the public health disparities within Black folks and, and, and the things we really deal with. And, and also, but considering the access and how language and the barriers to insurance and financial means were unable to help them really progress. So mm-hmm. that in itself, I think I was impacted by generational, what I like to say, generational health impact of mental health and uh, even physical health, right? And so when I think about the challenges that I took on from them was really um, purely around my depression. You know, you're not, you know, obviously living with your, you know, your, your mother and father and you don't know your siblings. You know, there's a bit of a disconnect there that really creates a level of disparity and despair and hopelessness. And so um, that in itself really grew to what, you know, it grew to behavior issues. It grew to being kicked out of school, um, going into a behavior health facility at the age of 10, losing my mother and father early on, which also just created more deliberated issues. And in long term, being incarcerated at the age of 17 for a firearm, joining gangs, the list goes on and on. I was really grateful after my release, a few years afterwards, I went and worked in the juvenile facility. Um, as as a more of what they call a youth care worker, working with young people and the next 10 years going to work in behavioral health facilities, you know, just as a mental health tech and a case manager. And I recognize the gaps that we had in our system, the disconnect in care and quality care for Black folks was definitely present. Um, and so seeing that over the years, I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't really know what it even looked like advocating at large but recognizing that when I felt that I had the tools getting out of graduate school, that it was time for me to really step into my boldness, not only my story, but to my uniqueness to helping other young black men and their families that look like us, right? That look like people that are, you know, going through similar situations and being that voice. And so that's how my story and the work that we do at large, I think is really manifested and really just excited for other people that now can step in their own power. Um, I think it's about our own power and how we take that and how do we use that power. So I think that's what we're now giving to our barbers and saying that while you're taking this on as an advocate, that you step in your own boldness and power and do other things for other people. And if we can see that happen over and over, then we have a community that is really what we call, what Dr. Martin Luther King called beloved communities. And so I think that's the the path that we're headed on and just really um, taking it day by day for sure. What, what made you think of um, starting with barbershops? I mean, it, it seems very natural when I think about it. And, and I know many, many years back, there was a, it was like a little pilot. It, it didn't really go very far other than it had some good outcomes. And a lot of people would say, check up from the neck up. And that's kind of what, what happened yeah. in the barbershops and with the beauticians is, you know, while you're getting, you know, your hair and, you know, facial hair and your hair, hair taken care of, you were also getting a little checkup from the neck up around your mental health and well-being. So what, what actually made you kind of really like almost double down and make this thing happen? It's kind of like, how do you, you get the spark and then the spark turns into a fire and then the fire turns into a flame? So where did the spark come from as far as barbershops and, and, and uh, barbers? You know, honestly, at first we started off doing this work. Me and my, I never forget, I had a, a colleague of mine that, you know, I was like, man, I really want to help black men. I really want to help support us. And, um, you know, my, uh, I had a family member who had recently been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. 
And just seeing him as a black man, some of his struggles he went through and some of the challenges that our family went through and just not understanding what caregiving looked like, what it, you know, compassion looked like at that level, but even how the care looked like, what did that look like because of, you know, your family member being now, you know, back into a wall, right, with this illness that really could, you know, could really hinder so much. And so I think that was, that in itself really gave me my real spark, allowed me to step into the power. And I think well, my first thing is we went to a library, right? We never forget, we put up a sign calling out men to just come have a safe space. And it was about, you know, come confess and talk about, you know, things that you want to talk about and um, and talk about the things, you know, and, and how to really build on mental health. Well, nobody showed up, right? It was zero participants. And I'll never forget that was probably the most, you know, devastating, but also I think it was a very uplifting moment because now that I look back, that's what forced me into going deeper about how do we really reach men? And I thought about the barbershops. And then I thought about as a kid, I said, wow, my aunt owned the beauty salon. And I just started really reflecting about going there as a kid. You know, my first mentor, Sylvester, who was a barber there, was roughly about five chairs there. Watching my aunt and them, you know, feed the homeless, do their hair, cut their hair for free if they didn't have the money. And really take care of their community, what we call village care. And I watched that as a kid, you know, getting off the bus every day, going into the beauty shop here in this four-way in a, in a, a very in an urban community and in the four-way was just as busy and it was just as live as everybody would there's a lot of other businesses around so i think that's really where i saw community and i saw mm-hmm. how that beauty shop was a beacon of giving hope into that community and um and so that right there was i think that's what struck me is because of those participants that didn't show up allowed me to reflect on my journey and say, wow, let me try barbershops. And um, whoever would have knew going to do our first shop now turned into, you know, doing um, hundreds of them, right. Mm-hmm. Bringing on thousands of barbers and the list goes on and on. So we're really, really excited that, you know, sometimes on the other side of what we may see as failure could be um, opportunity, you know, and exactly. that opportunity really is something that's now, that's serving so much impact for for individuals, black men and families, for sure. Yeah, that is such an important point there that, you know, a a low time you're able to do deeper reflection to turn it into like, instead of saying, oh, well, that didn't really work out and leaving it alone, being able to take it a step deeper and deeper to figure out, well, how do I make it work better? And you kind of came up with, I think, some really critical or critically important pieces, which is, you know, a lot of times people struggle with their mental health because of what is a lack of safe space community. I think a lot of people may be in community, but is it a safe space where they can talk about stuff where, you know, they might be shamed for, you know, um, you know, talking about vulnerabilities, especially for black men, you know, it's like talking about being, I hate to say being weak. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be an unapologetically black unicorn right now and say that's tough for anybody to talk about. But how is how is it for black men to find a safe space to talk about those kind of vulnerabilities? And it seems like you tapped into that. You know, I think the the one key thing that I really took on was that I was in a really low place at that point. And I never forget going into a barbershop and one of one of the men that was there you know, that was getting his haircut was like, you know, we, we go inside of barbershops, you know, while people are in the shop and, you know, we would do trainings, you know, sometimes on the off days and barbers and we're going to, we go inside the barber colleges. And I just remember 
a gentleman asked, like, well, man, what do you do for your mental health? You know, how do you deal with it? And that really, you know, I had a hard time answering that. And at that point in time, that also led me to start my journey with therapy. And so as I went deeper, that that participant there in the barbershop, I never forget, was a part of me really realizing that if I wanted to not only do this as a part of my career and my work, that I also needed to engage in this personally. And so it allowed me to just dive deeper into myself. And, and it really has really allowed me to be very effective in the work that we do, to how we hire other Black men, how we train, stabilize the movement, I think has really been very significant in our culture, hiring people with lived experiences, folks that um, come from our communities, you know, being very clear that this is how we're doing it and the way we're going to do it. And I think that's really what's, that's what allowed our, I think even now allowing the fire to stay as high as it is. Yeah. As yeah. you said, it's, it's definitely hard to get men <laughs> engaged. Um, even what we do, we do not have a magic pill that is still, it's still the way it is. But what we have been is, have practiced authenticity at a high level. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think barbers see that men see that people know that we're real. We're serious. We're, this is not a science thing. This is a real thing that really like from us by us. And I think that really goes a long way. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I was thinking about, you know, when you were talking about your barber asking, well, how do you take care of your mental health as a, um, you know, mental health advocate for many years, I was going to a new um, stylist, you know, she started talking about one of her relatives and she said, yeah, well, you know, she's crazy. We don't know what to do about it. And I'm sitting in the chair going, oh, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? I mean, I work in this field of mental health and, you know, she's, eh, she's using derogatory terms. I, I could get over the derogatory terms. I'd rather she be able to tell it like how she would tell it rather than controlling her language to hear where the struggles were. And about the second time or third time I came back, you know, I asked, well, you know, how's your, how's your, your relative? And she said, oh, you know, I'm really worried they're going to like pick her up and they're going to like put her in jail. And so at that point, I told her what I did. I said, well, let me tell you what I do. (laughs) And she's like, what? Well, this is what you do. But, you know, mental illness, that's for white people. Mm. That is straight up what she thought. She's like, mental illness, that's for white people. I know she has her struggles. And, you know, we say that she's crazy, but I don't like the idea that they're giving her medication or they want to give her medication and call her that she has this mental illness. That's a white people disease. And other people in the salon, you know, the other, the other uh, stylists and the other chairs, and sometimes some of the other people getting services that were there, this is stuff we would just talk about amongst ourselves so that she could think of it in a different way and think about, okay, don't worry about if it's called a mental illness. What about the struggles that you all have been through as a family kind of being ripped from your country? And, you know, this is somebody who came here as an immigrant, not, not in the way that they would have wanted. It was war torn and stuff like that. So we had to unpack trauma and kind of use language that she understood to better be able to support her sister, even though within sort of the majority culture, yes, it's called mental illness, but when we reframed it, it was a better understanding. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the, the salons, again, are such a beautiful place to have the conversation in ways people can talk about it. Yeah. So how do you get the barbers and, and the barbershops actually agreeing to uh, be a part of the Confess Project? And also, what is some of the training that the barbers have to go through? 
Yeah, so a lot of it is, you know, on the front end, we're doing a lot of relationship building. You know, now our ecosystem is so large. You know, we work with, you know, barbers that are affiliated with Andis, barbers that are affiliated with Gillette. So we've definitely now, and I think we've done a lot of hard work to build up ecosystems. You know, we we attend barber trade shows, hair shows at large, industry events. So we've definitely done a lot of the groundwork to build our name, I believe, through the the pipeline of the barbering industry and the salons industry. A lot of it in the earlier stages, right, it really was, you know, getting our name out there, you know, branding, um, talking with barbers who had influence. You know, we really honed in on black key barbers that we knew could reach a lot of more barbers online, barbers offline, barbers who were affiliated in local community events, barbers who were affiliated even in just the what we call the being cool scene in in, in, in urban cities, right? And like the who's who and, you know, uh, barbers who worked with, you know, celebrities and worked with people that were that may have had influence. You know, that's really, I believe, how we got into our community and really were able to reach a lot of people. And so those barbers, you know, made referrals, right? You know, reached out to barbers that they knew, reached out to other folks. And that really helped us to spread the word. I think some core things that we really cover, very simple, is um, active listening. You know, it's a core thing we cover in our training. Validation, positive communication, and stigma reduction. And so those four areas is how we allow the barbers to work with their clients. So in a real time, is they're cutting somebody's hair and they're listening, right? Their client is talking about they had a hard week and that they're stressed out or maybe they lost somebody to COVID-19 or hey, maybe, you know, life is going good, but I'm trying to get this one thing in my life situated with a relationship, whoever, whatever the case may be. They're taught to validate, you know, how to validate, you know, somebody that's going through maybe negative self-talk. I don't think I can do this. Man, I'm feeling, you know, so they're, they're taught to validate that person feeling, right? Making them feel seen and heard. And then communication, you know, positive communication. So, you know, as men, we often may tie into negative nuances around, or you're a man, or, you know, suck it up. Or like, and so we teach them to not engage into that wording. That is what we, one, lead to is part of the stigma, right? So, mm-hmm. and so stigma reduction, right? Ultimately, stigma reduction, just letting them know the key things that are important to not feed in the stigma. So that's weak. You're a man. You know, these connotations, um, white people, mental health is for white people. You know, these terms that are thrown around are sometimes, in fact, the challenges that we are up against in the community. It's really subtle stuff that I think one can make a mere magnitude of difference. And so mm-hmm. while we're doing this inner work, and then lastly, we're teaching our barbers how to refer to providers, right? How to right. give people the resources. One thing that we're kicking off is Barbers for 988 is a platform that we have a website, um, barbersfor988.com. There's a special shout out to the Sazozi Foundation and, 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 and the campaign that we're looking to put on to getting out the new 988 number through our barbershops, through our network. Um, looking forward to providing that literacy and, and the messaging that our community members need, you know? And so I think mm-hmm. that, that's at large, you know, how we're connecting all those dots. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. And for folks who are not aware yet, or I'm guessing most of my listeners are probably, you know, people who are doing stuff in the mental health space. But just in case, um, 988 is going to be the um, new mental health 
crisis line. So instead of having to remember a longer number, most of us know the 1-800-273-TALK, which is the National Suicide Prevention Line. Now throughout the nation, because of a federal bill, there will be a 988 number and a National Suicide Prevention Line kind of underneath it, so to speak. But, um, you know, we have to uh, help people know that that number is out there and that that's a number they can call uh, going live in July um, of 2022. So uh, just around the corner, so being able to get the word out on the ground through barbers is is just fantastic. So I'm, I'm thinking like, how do I know that my barber shop has Confess Project Barbers? Is there a sign out front? Is there a list yes, somewhere? Sir. Like, how do I know? We're really big on every barber shop we went to have, you know, have an emblem that we put on their window. You know, we also do add them to our directory. I believe we are if not already have uploaded their director to our website, but if not, you know, people can always reach out to the confess project.com and we can obviously have someone in contact with them, you know, about that. So that's one key way. I think another key way is just social media. You know, we're always obviously putting out um, relevant content, you know, right now our core areas that we we're in, we're in Atlanta, we're in Los Angeles um, and we're primarily in Arkansas mm-hmm. um, It's some of our core programming areas. And, um, you know, we do do train barbers across the country, but I, I like to say those three areas have been more of our priorities right now. Mm-hmm. So we know that we have a lot of work to, to bite on just with L.A. and in Atlanta and here even deep south of Arkansas and Mississippi. So I think that's some core ways. But, yeah, we definitely. Um, try to make sure that we have the Confess Project Barber Coalition. Um, I know with the 988, we're looking to put out more things in, inside of like posters inside of barbershops, mm-hmm. um, maybe looking at like some billboard campaigns and some different things that we can really uh, magnify the messaging for getting the new information out about the, the crisis hotline. So Yeah, that would be really I, just so fantastic where you're talking about the billboards and posters and things, because you know, I always think about what happens in the Black community is billboards tend to be filled with things that maybe aren't the healthiest for us. You know, we, we might enjoy them, but they might not be the healthiest for us. But to be able to see, you know, billboards and, and um, bus bench placards and things that, you know, about the Confess Project, about 988 would be just really amazing because it can counteract sort of that other stuff that we generally see. Just to speak openly, what do we see in our communities, things for um, cigarettes, alcohol. I'm just, you know, I'm an unapologetically black unicorn, so I'm not going to hold back and (laughs) speak the truth about what we see in our, in our neighborhoods. But um, so what about, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to grow your business, but I am trying to get you to grow your business (laughs) for us, us black women who are going in the beauty salons, you know, do you see yourself at some point um, going and uh, and training uh, stylists in, in beauty salons as well? Or I know you're trying to hone in on this one thing first. I'm not trying to like diversify you yet. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. <laughs> no, no, I'm, we're, we're definitely looking to, um, I think this will be my first time speaking about it publicly. We're, um, I'm looking at um, in the next, you know, 60 days, 60, 90 days, I've been looking at actually, you know, outside of the Confess Project, starting um, uh, the salon suites industry is a big industry. Um, one of my goals outside of this was to get into actually developing barbershops and salons mm-hmm. as an actual real estate portfolio. And so I'm actually in the, in the phases of developing a salon suite mm-hmm. for a pilot. And my goal is out of that to incubate women estheticians into the network, but by providing a space. And I think building that network out. So 
I think that that's going to be one way. I think the other way is that we definitely already work with quite a bit of stylists, not as many. A lot of the stylists are already inside of our barbershops, mm-hmm. some of them. But I do think this this new opportunity, really looking to building some connections to that industry more. And so I think that looking to provide some benefits of not only space, but also how we can get them to try to network. Yeah. Right now we're in the middle of um, an evidence-based pilot program with Department of Behavior Health in Georgia. And this grant is going to allow us to to gather evidence-based data. And as we show that efficacy is to also go into working with stylists and working with domestic violence victims. Because I think this model can be used in a lot of different ways. So a few things that we're looking to do, I think, so we are already ahead of how do we start that process. Um, And I think one, you know, one way is just starting to network and really seeing what does it look like? You know, how does that, because I, I grew up in a beauty salon. So I think for me first, that's what I knew first mm-hmm. as a kid. So I think connecting back to that, right? And and the barbers was an easy connection because I, I go, I went to the I went to the barber shop, so that was yeah, easy. Yeah. But I think now learning how do we best serve, you know, black women, and how you know how do we best really serve them in the best way um, that's going to be authentic, like we were with, with barbers and men. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, that's that's just fantastic, and I know you're quite the entrepreneur, so <laughs> it wasn't doesn't surprise me that it would be kind of looking at the supply chain of. Well, maybe we don't go in other people's shops and we create our own suite of shops. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it's kind of like the whole, you're going to have the whole supply chain kind of, I hate to yeah. say, follow, well, I don't hate to say, but following the Kaiser model. Like if you think about Kaiser, you know, yeah. from having the, uh, you know, the, the hospitals to the doctors, to the insurance, to the pharmacy, and now actually they have a medical school. So that is the entire. Wow. 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 They, awesome. they didn't miss, they didn't miss a beat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so if there's like one thing that, you know, you really want to leave people with uh, who are listening in about either, you know, Black mental health, about the journey of Black men, about the Confess Project, like kind of what's that, I always say, what's the wisdom you're going to drop in here? You dropped a lot, but if there's like one piece. Yeah, you know, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. what would that be? You know, something that dawns on me right now, you know, suicide, I believe, you know, it changes often, obviously, but I think right now suicide for Black men and boys between ages 18 and 24 is about it was like third lead cause of death. May have been a second lead. I think it does change here and there. And I, I understand that suicide not youth right now has really raised a lot. And that really um that really does something to me personally because um I have a young daughter and you know, also I you know, I I, I think the world of young people, I believe young people are the next people that's gonna take this forward, right? You know, mm-hmm. our ancestors had to do do enough for us to get here. And I believe again we're gonna have to ensure that that our next generation. And so I think what I want to leave with people today is that to just not be remiss of the fact that um, everybody is going through some kind of challenge and that I think we should uh, holistically always be thinking of innovative ways to help people and to do it to people and where they are in life. Because I think sometimes, and I think that's where we get tied up in the systems and it's one size fit all. And it's, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's just not what we're doing it at this point in life. And particularly in COVID-19, this is just not where we are. Mm-hmm. And so I think uniquely, I hope what we do is a symbolism to the world that just show up where people are to do more when you think you've done enough and to always let people be seen and heard and valued. And in return, I think they will bless you tenfold. And I think the communities will respect you. And I think 
we'll just have better and safer places to live. And I think overall, that's the energy we put out while we're doing what we do. Right. And that comes back to us. And so I, I ask people that they do the same, you know, that we, we put more good in our communities that it will come back in, in, in a good way. So Right. Beautiful, beautiful. And you're such a good example of that, Lorenzo. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and, you know, yourself Absolutely. being an unapologetically Black unicorn and look forward to, you know, continuing to see what happens with the Confess Project moving forward. I have no words. You, you left us with some, some uh, great action. Like now I know what I can do in the, as an action step, as well as great information to take care of our, our mental health and our especially Black men and boys. So thank you very much, Lorenzo. No, absolutely. No, thank you so much. All right. And for all of our listeners, um, just remember to join in next week to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. <laughs>